The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. For those of you who receive Father Richard Rohr's daily meditation from the Center for Action and Contemplation, you may have noticed an entry last week where he talks about using a new lens in one's interpretation of Paul. On Friday night, Michael Curry, our presiding bishop, at one point in his homily said that many of us, particularly women, don't cut Paul a lot of slack because of his seeming antipathy to women. And I get my back up to at times, but I still manage to find much of what he says quite beautiful. And it hits me where I live, so I'm not so quick to write him off. But Richard Rohr this week says that N.T. Wright, our own Anglican theologian, who I also sometimes take issue with, says that we have pretty much missed the boat on Paul's major theme. And Rohr says that once you see this point, you can't unsee it. And that is that the new temple of God is the human person. In tracing our faith history, he points out that on the day of the dedication of the first Jewish temple, around 950 BC, Solomon's temple, the glory of God, fire and cloud from heaven descended and filled the temple, just as it had in the story of Exodus, in the tent of meeting where the Ark of the Covenant lay. Signs of God's abiding presence where God would live forever. This place was the center of their faith and, in their thinking, the center of the world. But that story didn't end well. The Babylonians destroyed the temple in 587 BC and took the Jewish people into captivity. And this was a catastrophe that could have destroyed them as a people and most certainly prompted a crisis in their faith. Where was God now? And were they God's chosen ones or not? When many of the people returned to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple so that God could dwell with them again. But there's no story of the fire and cloud, the evidence that God had indeed come to dwell there. And N.T. Wright says that this could explain the rise of Phariseeism, that belief that the liturgical and moral laws must be followed to the letter, something that Jesus often railed against, because they believed that was why God wasn't there. 
why they hadn't been given the signs that had been given to their forebears. If they could just be more perfect, surely they would be rewarded with this. As we move into the season of Pentecost, we hear today Jesus' promise that he will not leave his people orphaned, that he will send them another advocate. And when we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost in a few weeks, you will notice that God did indeed send a sign of his dwelling place. Fire from heaven descended on people. Think about that. That changes everything, doesn't it? So often, the language that we hear about God is that God is out there or looking down on us. When here is evidence that God is as near to us as our very breath. And God is as near as the breath of your neighbor. That God didn't just descend on a chosen few, but on the people of every tribe and nation, speaking in languages foreign to one another, yet united in understanding and common humanity. Paul talks this morning about seeing the altar in the Areopagus with the inscription, to an unknown God. He says, God does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. No, he lives in us and is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now, Bishop Curry said on Friday night that God is not just dwelling in us, human beings, as if we were all that. He says, we don't get any props for being human. There's no PhD in human beingness. It just is. God also dwells in the whole of creation, that the whole creation is alive with the glory of God, every piece of it. Now, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is that manifestation of what God looks like in a human life. He shows us what it looks like when we really and truly know that God dwells in us and everything around us. And you would think that this would lead to perfect bliss, and maybe in some ways it does. But in the reading from Peter this morning, he kind of puts the kibosh on that. He starts off by saying, now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? You know, yeah, who's going to harm you? But then he goes on to say, basically, anyone and everyone can harm you, but so what? He says, but even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Nancy Rockwell, one of my favorite bloggers, who I had the privilege of meeting and spending some time with a couple of years ago, talks about the deep intimacy that we have with God. Deep and abiding intimacy. But here's the kicker, she says. This intimacy brings us into suffering, not comfiness. This intimacy brings us into the loneliness of the stranger by making us feel no longer at home in our world. It does not make us ever feel like Christmas morn with everything we ever wanted under the tree. So what do we get? For one thing, we get to know that we are never alone in our suffering. The man of sorrows is always walking the way with us and always pointing us toward the truth, whether we choose to see it or not. 
Jesus says that God will give us another advocate, that after he is physically gone from the world, the advocate, the spirit of truth, will come and abide with us. And I think the word advocate is an important one, and we shouldn't gloss over it. Advocate is one who stands up for, a champion, a promoter. We see Jesus doing this over and over, time and again, standing up for those who were considered the least of these, the champion of the poor and the marginalized. No wonder people followed him. What? You mean my life has value? My value isn't based on outward appearances, my status, or my wealth? So when this advocate dwells in us, when this body, this human life that we have been given, is the dwelling place of the spirit of truth, we too live the life of Jesus. We too stand by those who have no helper. We too feel the suffering of the world and work to make it right. We too love as God loves. When we advocate for one another, when we stand up for those in our own community who can't find a place to sleep for the night, we are living the life of the Spirit. When we say no to the injustice that is being visited on the immigrant community, we are living the life of Jesus. Last week I was in Sacramento with our Jewish brothers and sisters advocating for families being harmed by the new immigration policies that are hurting our communities and advocating for due process in their treatment. And Rabbi Ilana Rosen-Brown from Congregation Rodef Shalom told us of an immigrant, Hugo Mejia, father and husband, hard worker, faithful volunteer at the REST program, has been detained by ICE and facing an expedited deportation without due process. There was a rally last Monday with calls to Jared Huffman's office to take action to protect his rights and his family. And there are so many like Hugo in need of an advocate, in need of someone to be Jesus for them. On Friday, Bishop Curry talked about meeting at Lambeth with bishops from the global south. And they were talking about the effects of global climate change. He said, those of us, those of us from the west just sat and listened. He said an African bishop told of the famine in his country, how climate change has changed the growing patterns and people are starving. We need your help, he said. He told of another bishop from the Solomon Islands and told how they are preparing to relocate inhabitants of the islands who will have to leave because of rising sea levels. Can you help us, he said. He reminded them of how they had helped us during World War II when John F. Kennedy commanded PT-109 and was in need of help from the islanders. We rescued him and took care of him. Now we are in need of help from you. We in the West, who have contributed more than our share of greenhouse gases, are being called upon to help those who are suffering the results of our lack of care for the earth. We are being called to be the advocate for those in need. We are being called upon to advocate for the healing of the earth. We are being called to advocate for God's dwelling place, for us 
and for our neighbor and for our island home. I make no secret of the fact that my husband and I decided to become vegans several years ago. At the Eco-Justice Conference at Grace on Friday, one of the workshops was on food choices and their effect on global climate change. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do because I know what a long process it was for me and my husband and I make no judgment on those who choose differently. But I will tell you of my experience. People ask if we do it for our health and I say no, although it has had an effect on some measures of my health. My friend Patty Brightman just published a book titled Even Vegans Die. Yeah, so there's that. But the choice for me was purely for environmental and animal rights reasons. Or, as my husband will tell you, I do it for the health of the chicken. You're a hard crowd. <laughs> Which makes it easier to pass up what I used to think was delicious. I don't see a neatly packaged container of beef anymore. I see a sentient being who is suffering the effects of our factory farming or feel the hungry child in a far-off place suffering the effects of famine. And over time, a funny thing has happened. Little by little, I am more attuned to the suffering and more inclined to delight in the beauty of creation. Little by little, I am becoming aware of the presence of God in it all, including me. Small acts of mercy change us. Small acts of mercy awaken us to the God within us. The point of all this is not to feel comfy, as Nancy Rockwell would say. The point is to live fully as temples of the Holy Spirit, to walk the way with Jesus, our brother and way-shower, to be one and in harmony with all of creation until that day that we no longer see God through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.